Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Washera Community Church. We're glad you joined us this morning. If you're visiting, an extra special welcome to you. Thank you for spending your time with us this morning. So I know you hear this every Sunday morning, but it's important, right? And that's our twofold mission here. Number one, to give creative and meaningful worship to our God. And number two, to discover and develop disciples for him. That is why we exist. A couple of announcements for you. The first one is um, when you come in, you know, try and sit in the center of the, the seats so that the outsides are still left open for people who are coming later to be able to squeeze in without crawling over people. So feel free here, you know, if you've got space between you, go ahead and scooch in so that others have room. Second thing is the connect cards in the back of the seat in front of you. Please fill that out. Um, take a look at that, and um, we'd love to hear from you through the use of that Connect card. Don't forget to come for more, 11 a.m. after the service here today, um, where we will dig deeper into uh, the sermon from this morning. And um, men's breakfast, February 25th. There is a sign-up um, out there in the foyer, so please, men and uh, teenager, teenage boys, um, sign up for that, please. Um, February 25th. And then finally, sermon notes are now in your bulletin. So if you didn't get one of those, you can ask an usher uh, to bring you one. Um, but in the future, grab one on your way in and you have your sermon notes with the uh, bulletin announcements and stuff all in one place now. That's all for this morning. So let's go ahead and uh, pray here and uh, we'll keep it in our worship. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the sunshine the warm weather we've had, um, we appreciate that, Lord, and uh, we love you. Thank you for time to be together with fellow believers and uh, encourage each other and sharpen each other and take time to listen to uh, Pastor Adam uh, and his message to us um, through the Spirit, Father. We love you. We love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for this time. I pray you would bless it and help us all to feel encouraged and better equipped as we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Two weeks from today, we'll start a new round of our Sunday school, our life groups here at church at 11 o'clock, and you're invited. I know some of you have already signed up for that, some haven't. So let me know, how many of you like to go to buffets? That's a lot of hands, isn't it? I know why believers like to go to buffets. Because it's our chance to exercise self-restraint. As we look at all those beautiful dishes that are all over and counters here and counters there and everything, it's just a great way for us to practice self-restraint. That's why we like going there. Every now and then, we do like to go to fine dining, don't we? Where we sit down at a table and there's actually a linen tablecloth and maybe a linen napkin, not a paper one. We enjoy that kind of a setting as well, too. And when you think about our life groups, our Sunday school groups at 11 o'clock, the leaders of the church and the pastoral staff would actually like you to think of these growth groups and classes not as a buffet, but as fine dining, where you spend extended time with Jesus at his feet, just like Mary did. And she sat there, and she just absorbed Jesus. We'd like you to think about that. Now, 
there is some tendency among us to say, well, maybe this group just didn't work out for me, so I'll do the buffet route, and I'll go to the next group down the hall or downstairs or upstairs. We're actually asking you, don't think of our groups that way. Think of it as fine dining, where you invest not only in your relationship with Jesus, but you invest with the facilitator of that group. You invest with the people who are in that group. Get to know them where you can actually ask them, how are you? And that person won't just give you a glib, I'm fine. They'll actually share their heart with you. And it gives you the chance to do the same. That's why we invite you, come for more. So the uh, registration for those classes, which begin in two weeks from today, is out the worship center and to your left, right at the big glass window where you exit at the main entrance. And we invite you, come for more. We have some great praises this morning. Um, so I'm going to walk around with the microphone. Emily and, and Matthew are here, and I'm not going to have you come up front, but who do you have with you this morning? Uh, we have little baby uh, Madeline today. Um, she's about, let's see, five weeks old now. Um, and Melanie should be coming back Tuesday, I guess. Um, we just got that phone call this morning, so that's very exciting news. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Wow. That is a fantastic praise the Lord. We've been praying for those little twins. Um, our son Benjamin is with us and his wife Faith, and we're so glad they're here with us this morning. And I didn't get to I didn't get to ask Tom. Tom, how is Doreen doing? Doreen had surgery on her on her, on her hip, and she's walking fine and recovering. She's got about eight weeks until she can get back up here. Okay, well, good to see you this morning too, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. We want to pray for our come for more. We want to pray for our missionaries. And you, I always have to ask you to remind me who are we praying for today. Oh, Ash. Okay, yes. So Treehouse Ministries and Ash and Deanna. Okay, we're going to pray for them, along with our other missionaries, and also um, just anyone that you think of within the congregation that maybe has been walking through some hard times. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, but let's remember them as God brings those names to your minds to, to lift them up and in prayer, and then we're also going to pray for our time of offering this morning. So let's bow our heads in prayer. So Heavenly Father, thank you again for praises that we can give. Thank you for this little one being with us this morning, Lord, that we have prayed. And we pray that Tuesday the other, she'll be joined uh, by her sister and, and home. Lord, continue to watch over um, the whole family, um, but help the, the little ones to be able to uh, to continue to develop and grow, Lord. Uh, thank you for how many times we have seen your hand. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. We just sing that to you. Um, we want to thank you, Lord, for walking us through things like uh, Tom and Doreen have walked through uh, surgery and, and recovery from that. We pray that Doreen, will, her recovery would, be, would go well and that we would see her face again um, some Sunday morning, Lord. We want to pray for our missionaries all around the world. And we think of the Treehouse Ministry, and we think of Ash, and, and we think of his leadership uh, in the overall ministry of that uh, nationwide. And 
And so, Lord, your hand be upon him as they reach out to uh, youth. And we think, again, also of our own uh, treehouse ministry in this, in this county and their opportunity to be an extension of that right here in Washera County. Lord, be with the, the leaders um, that are with those youth every single week, Lord. Guide them. And may they have some great conversations about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we want to pray this morning, Lord, for maybe a, a person, uh, a name that came to our minds as I was talking about it. And so, Lord, we're going to just take a, a moment of silence here for each person just to pray for that person that need this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you're God that heard every name. You're one that heard every situation, that you know about them even more than we do. And so, Lord Jesus, we continue to have that a practice of ours to continue to put these supplications into your hands. Guide us, Lord. And help us, Lord, too, that we might be used of you in another person's life. So, Lord, may we always be ready and willing to be that person. We thank you that we can give our tithes and offerings to you. Thank you for the ways that you have provided for us. Great is thy faithfulness over the years. And Lord, we do pray your blessing upon this offering as we use it the best of our ability to continue to spread the gospel, not only here, but abroad. And so Lord, may this truly be an act of worship as we come together to worship you in our tithes and offerings. And this we ask in your precious and holy name, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Children, do you want to come up for a moment? Come on up with me. Come on up and we'll sit down right here. Come on in close. Come on in close. Any other kids? Come on in close, guys. Come on, move down here. Right. Where's Elijah? Elijah, you can help me. Okay, we're going to sing a little song. I think you know. We're going to sing it for the congregation because they need to hear this. This is just notes of mine but because I think you already know the song. They need to hear this for the sermon that they're going to hear today. So do you know this little light of mine? Do you know that? What do you do? You got to put up your light, right? You got your light up? Put your light up. Congregation can help. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Then this verse is the important one that they need to hear. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, the second one, because you just sang that for them. The second one that I want us to, is a little bit older, 
And it's a song that goes, oh, how I love Jesus. And then you sing it again. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Then you stop. Because here's the most important line. Because he first loved me. Let's try it all together now. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first Love me. Now, I said that last line is the most important line because if we love Jesus, who did the first loving by that song right there? Who did the first loving? Who did it? No, not you. Jesus. God did the first loving because he first loved me. And what's great is that comes from 1 John 4, 19. If you look up that verse, you'll read that song right there. Because he first loved me. And I just want to remind you, always remember that. We can say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? We can say that. But we have to realize that if we say, I love Jesus, the only way we can really say that is because he first loved us. Always put God in first place. He made it possible for us to be able to love him, love him. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for um, that fact. And, 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 and little songs like this that come right out of your scripture that remind us again that we can have a great love for you, but it's because your love was even greater to love us before we ever loved you. And I pray that the children will always, always put you in first place. Always in first place, Lord. So be with them, Lord, in Children's Church today and their leaders today. May this be a great time for them also to continue to worship and to look into your word this morning. In thy precious name, amen. Good amen. morning. Really good to have you here. I'm Pastor Adam. You can back this off a little bit, Bob. Thank you. Um, we're, we're almost two months into this. Uh, it's interesting to watch you shift around because I watch where you sit every Sunday when you sit down. And I've seen some of you have had to move, had to find some new spots. That's great. And, uh, but it's, it's good to be in God's house together. And it's during this time of the worship service where we turn to God's word. And we are going through the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter. This is actually our second sermon in 2 Peter. And we have uh, kind of loosely um, titled this uh, whole thing, The Good, the Bad, and the Great. In chapter 1 of Second Peter, it's about the good. In chapter 2, when we get there, it's about the bad. And then when you get to chapter 3, it's about the great. But this passage of Scripture, verses 16 through 21, um, I subtitled it, Eyewitness or Written Word, Which wins. Eyewitness or written word, which, which wins. And I thought, I want to give you a little bit of a, a review from two weeks ago when we started this. Peter starts off 
second Peter, like he does first Peter, when he focuses in on that you've received a precious faith from God and a salvation by Jesus. He starts off each book that way. He says, first off, saved people, I want you to remember that you've been saved and how you've been saved and how precious that salvation is. Then in this book, Peter says, we supplement our God-given faith with, and two weeks ago, we went through this whole list, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And he calls these things, these things. And if these things are increasing, then your vision of God, your correct and accurate vision of God, your 2020 vision of God is increasing. And so that's what he wants his readers to do, to have a correct and precise, accurate uh, vision of who God is and who Jesus is. But if these things are lacking, if these are not in your hand, what's going to ultimately happen is you're going to have spiritual amnesia of your even your salvation. You're going to even forget about your salvation, this great salvation that God has provided. And the last thing there is Peter is leading by example, as he did in 1 Peter, and leaving a godly legacy. And if I just read verse 15 from two weeks ago, he said, and I, Peter, make every effort. And he had asked his readers that same thing in verse five. He said, make every effort. So he's saying, I'm going to make every effort so that after my departure, so he's letting them know that he's not going to be around much longer. This is, he's toward the end of his life. After my departure, you will may be able to at any time to recall these things. He wants them to be able to recall the things that he is sharing with them now, even after he's gone. He's leaving a godly legacy. One more slide here for this. Peter wants his readers to have a precise, correct, a becoming thoroughly acquainted with knowledge of God and Jesus. That's really important. And that's really important that you have that leading into chapter 2. He also wants the saved readers to live out their God-given and provided faith. He wants them to be living out their salvation, to be actively living it. We call it sanctification, actively living this out because it's really important before we get to chapter two. And then lastly, Peter wants them to recall these things, recall the things that he is speaking about. And that's really important leading into chapter two. I'm, I'm giving a big promo for chapter two here, aren't I? Yeah, in a couple of weeks, we'll be there. So let's go to the passage of Scripture this morning. We start with verse 16. We go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his majesty. So first off, the Bible's not made up of cleverly devised myths. As he is speaking, as Peter is speaking, he and the other apostles are giving new revelation. They're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and they're describing what that second coming will be like. And as they're giving this new revelation, because they are apostles, some look at it and go, my, that sounds like a well-told fable. Well, that's a whopper, Peter. Yeah, can you top that one? And he wants them to realize that, wait a minute, no, no, it's not well-devised myths. And, and this was happening, Peter, uh, Paul also instructs Timothy and Titus in the pastoral epistles, he instructs them about the myths that were going around. And so in 1 Peter, I, I gave you some here, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verse three and four says, and as I, Paul, urge you, Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies for these controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Let me give you another one, 1 Timothy chapter 4. He'll say it again. Verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. Go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all your duties of your ministry. And then if you just flip over to Titus, he says something similar to Titus, chapter 1, verse 12, says even one of their prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to be commands uh, and or, or to the commands of those who reject the truth. So that was happening during that time that there were people that were telling myths and stories and fables and well-told stories and fables. And Peter is saying, no, what I'm telling you about the powerful and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the second coming of Christ, that I'm making known to you, that phrase means that you're gaining some new knowledge here because we are apostles. He says, this is not a fable. This is not a myth. And then he ties on to the end of that, and we are eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. So it's not just him, there's a we, so that's plural, so that's more than one. And when he says eyewitnesses, it means to look upon, to inspect. You remember the magic shows, and the magician would have somebody come up, and someone out of the crowd come up, and what would they do? Take a look at this. Look at it from every angle and everything else. You know, is this what it is? You know, kind of thing. And so they were that that's the idea of that word is that you're up close. You are inspecting what is in front of you. Another way to say it is you you behold you're 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 beholding you're beholding what is happening at that moment in time. And so that's what Peter is saying here. We were eyewitnesses of Jesus majesty. We we were there to look at it, to inspect it, up close enough to inspect it, and we were beholding it. It it was all around us kind of thing. So now we get to verse 17 and 18, and he explains when this was. He says, for when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, and this is what the voice said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, the question is, when is when? When did this happen? Well, in the scriptures, we have a few times in the New Testament where God speaks. And so I thought, well, let's look at those. Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So there's one of the times. Let me give you another one in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, this is the Passover week. This is just before Jesus goes to the cross. And there's another time in chapter 12, starting in verse 27, Jesus is actually talking to God, his father. He says, Not, this is Jesus, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Meaning, you know, this, he's going to go to the cross. Save me from this hour. And then he, he answers himself. He says, no, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. And then he says to the Father, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and and heard it said it had thundered. That's what it sounded like, thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. I think so there's a second one. But the one that he is talking about, the wind of the wind, uh, one of the places I'll draw you back to Matthew chapter 17 is what we call when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. And in our passage of scripture, he says, we saw this, we were with him on the holy mountain. So this is the clue of this is what he is talking about. Chapter 17 of Matthew says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So there's the we, the we three. Um, and led them up a high mountain. So that connects the two together by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. What did that transfiguration look like? Follows up. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, there it is referenced again, the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until, until the son of man has been raised from the dead. Until after the resurrection, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you can share this event. And that's what Peter's doing in second Peter. He's sharing this event with his readers. So that's the when of the when is he's referring to that time they were up on this mountain. Some things in this, it says the voice was born to him. It's, it's coming down. What was said of Jesus has the connotation it was laid upon him. He was to carry this, that he was God's son. He was to carry this statement about him. He is the very son of God who would go to the cross. It came from the majestic glory. Sometimes the the Jewish people would not say the proper name of God. And so sometimes they would substitute God's proper name with some of his attributes. And so I thought, well, let let me just read the Exodus 15, 11. 
It says, who among, among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, you majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, majestic glory, working wonders. Now here's the eyewitness part. He says, we ourselves heard. So there's the eyewitness part of it is that they actually heard it. And the word means that actually heard it with their ears. And then the second one, we were with him. So we heard it, but we not only heard it, but we were with him. We were present with him. We were at this happening when it happened. That's an eyewitness. Now let's just stop there and talk about eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses are tremendous. Eyewitnesses are, tr are, are great to have. I mean, when you have an accident, like happened a couple of weeks ago, there was an accident out here. An eyewitness is really important at an accident. An eyewitness is really important at a crime scene. Uh, when you have someone who was there, when someone heard it, when someone saw it, when someone was right there in the presence of what was happening and being able to relay it back to you exactly, especially to the authorities, what happened in that situation. It's, a, it's tremendous. And then you pile on top of that we, what we call a credible eyewitness, right? A credible eyewitness where you look at the person and the person is not, maybe they're not related. There's no gain in what they're doing whatsoever. There's, there's a, there's, they don't have a rap sheet. Uh, they're, they're not in trouble with the law. They're, they're people who um, are uh, upstanding in society, uh, everything else. All that kind of builds upon it. That This is a really credible eyewitness that we have that is telling us, what is happening? And so Peter describes himself that way. That here we are. And the credibleness of Peter's eyewitness account is that the we that he's talking about, the we that he's talking about, that already one in the group of three, so Peter, James, and John, one of them, James, has already died for the faith. He's already said, no, no, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is alive. He's alive. Who would die for a lie? Who would die for a lie? So we go on from there, and this is what blows your mind about this passage of Scripture, verse 19. Look at verse 19. And when, and, and, even that word, and, so we got eyewitness. But and, add to that, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Everybody say more fully confirmed. More fully confirmed. To which he's, he's saying that, yeah, I was an eyewitness, but we've got something even better than my eyewitness account of this. We have the prophetic word that is more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's more fully confirmed. Peter is saying that. He's saying, I was an eyewitness of what happened on that holy hill. But I, let me tell you, we've got a prophetic word. We've got the word of God that's more con fully confirmed than my eyewitness account. It's more stable. It's more fast. It's more firm. And you do well to pay attention. The phrase there means you, it's, it's beautiful, and it's so beautiful that you, whatever it is, that you draw it near to yourself. You get closer to it because it's so beautiful. So there's a beautiful flower, and what do you do? You, you get closer to it, 
and you see that beautiful flower. That's kind of the concept here, that this prophetic word is so beautiful that you draw closer to it. And it's also a, it's to your advantage that it's a lamp in a dark place. It's like a lamp in a dark place. And you probably already, you know this verse, don't you? You might even be singing the song. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yeah, he's saying that the word of God, and I put down there the red zone because in 1 Peter, remember what zone are we in? We're in the red zone. And sometimes the red zone looks pretty dark. He's saying that in the red zone, in the dark zone, we need to bring this word of God close to us. It's beautiful. It lights our way. And how long do we do this? Until the day dawns. How long do we keep pulling this word close to us? Until the day dawns. The day in the scriptures is always talking about the day of the Lord. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And we hold this precious and beautiful and we draw it near to ourselves until Jesus returns again. Now, here's here's the thing I can show you many times in the scriptures where it talks about the day of the Lord. I'll go to that Isaiah 1 first, Isaiah 13, 6. But when the scriptures talk about the day of the Lord, it's mixed. I mean, it's a mixed, um, uh, how do I say that? It's a mixed uh, message, not, not to be, no, there's two sides of the, of the message. Not, there's two sides of this message. So let me read that first verse. Wail, 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 for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't sound too good. That's what I mean. By, there's two sides of this. And last, last Sunday, if you were here, you saw John Payne get down on one knee over here. He got down on one knee and he said, you know, we need to bow before Jesus. We need to bow before him as our, our Savior. And, and, and we live for him. And, and we do, when do we do that? We need to do that now. We need to do that now, that our eyes would see him as our Savior and Lord. Because there's going to come a day when it's the day of the Lord, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But some of those who are bowing and some of those who are confessing his Lord, he's not their savior. He's their judge. He's their judge. And so when are you going to bow? I mean, when are you going to bow? The day of the Lord, the first time he came, he came to seek and save the lost. The day of the Lord, the second time he comes, he comes to judge. So for one group of people, the day of the Lord is a joyous thing. For another group of people, the day of the Lord is a frightening thing. And that's what you'll see in the scriptures. And I gave you a bunch of them here. Ezekiel 30, Ezekiel 30, verse 3. For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. A day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Um, let me, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 speaks a lot about the day of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm of my, on my holy hill. 
Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloudness and blackness, like the dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. The day of the Lord. And, and I gave you some more there to look at. But he is saying here, this is precious. And this is beautiful. And what do we do with this? We draw it near. And how long do we draw it near? Until the day of the Lord, when he comes again. And then he uses these two phrases, the morning star, the morning star rises in your heart. When he talks about the morning star, he's talking about Jesus Christ. I, I love, and I'm going to go to the Revelation one, Revelation chapter 2, verse 25. He's talking to the church in Thyatira. He says, only hold on to what you have until I come. Only hold on to what you have until I come, until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Then he speaks of himself. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them like pieces of pottery. Just as I received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. I will give him the morning star. Then Jesus says it of himself in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the book, Revelation 22, 16. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you, this was John, this testimony for the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star. Everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. There it is right there, morning star. But he says this rises within your hearts. So there is something that is done. There's a transformation that has happened to you because of the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star has risen. Jesus has risen in your hearts. He's, he's, he's in your life. And I, I wanted to give you a couple of examples, but the first example I wanted to give you is just the opposite. In, in, in Acts chapter 5, there is the event of Ananias and Sapphira. The church has started. And um, they're taking their cue off of this man named Barnabas, who, who had sold a piece of property and gave the proceeds to the apostles and said, here, use them for distribution for anybody that's in need kind of thing. So they took their cues kind of off of him. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of land. They sold it. But then what they did was they, they came to Peter and said, here's the proceeds from the land but it wasn't the whole amount, but they made it sound like it was the whole amount. So what they did was they sold it for 100,000. I'm just round numbers. They sold it for 100,000, but they only gave 50,000 to the apostles and said, that's the whole amount. Ooh, what did they just do? They lied, didn't they? Well, listen to how it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Oh, who fills your heart? Is it Jesus or is it Satan? So fills your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money you received from the land. And he asked him these questions. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And if you stop there and go, yeah, yeah, it was theirs. It was theirs. 
And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? And you stop right there and you go, yep, yep. They could have done whatever they wanted with that money kind of thing. What did you think to, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So there's the opposite side of it, that Satan can rise in your heart. But he's saying for you, the morning star has risen in your heart. So everybody should have in their Bible marked Romans 10. Romans 10, 8 and 9. You should, all, you should mark these two verses. Because it says, but what does it say? And it's interesting. It says, the word is near you. There again, it's beautiful. It's near you. You've drawn it toward yourself. It is near you. Um, it is in your mouth. And it's in your where? Heart. It's in your heart. It's risen up in your heart. That, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming to you, that if you confess with your mouth, what are we going to confess with mouth? Jesus is Lord. Now stop right there. Because we can say a lot of things about Jesus. But what do we need to confess about Jesus? Well, Jesus is a, my good friend. And Jesus is a great guy. And Jesus is a good teacher. And Jesus, you know, I follow him every once in a while. No, what we confess is Jesus is Lord. When you say that, he is master of your life. You belong to him. It's, it's, it's about him and not you anymore. It's his words over your words, his will over your will. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. He has full control of our lives now. We, we submit, we bow to him. And we, when he says for where we are to go, we go. That's what we confess. Jesus is Lord. And then the second part, and believe in your what? Heart. And then what do we believe in our heart? Well, we believe a lot of things in our heart. But what he says is you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believe in a risen Savior. You believe in a Savior that died upon a cross and said he was going to be buried and he would rise on the third day, and he did. That's what it means to be a Christian, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then it says, you will be saved. Declarative. You will be saved. You will be saved. So this verse right here, he says, we have something more fully confirmed than our eyewitness account, which was phenomenal. But we have something more fully confirmed, and it's God's word. And this word is so beautiful that you need to draw it to yourself. It's advantageous that you draw it to yourself. How long do you draw it toward yourself? You draw it, draw it to yourself until the day of the Lord, the second coming of the day of the Lord. And why do you do this? Because the morning star has risen up in your hearts. Jesus is, is your Lord and Savior. And you believe he has risen from the grave. So he wants to speak a little bit more about that. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, he's going to tell you two things here, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That's the first one. So first of all, first thing about this prophetic word that we're drawing close, it, first of all, in time, place, order, and importance, it's the word of God. It's not someone's own interpretation. It's not private or separate explanation. It is the actual word of God that you have in your hands. 3,800 times 
in the scriptures, plus times, in the scriptures, it is referred to as the word of God. Some of you went through Pastor Robert's study in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me. That's how he describes it. The word of the Lord came to me saying, and it goes from there. Um, some of these I really want to read. So let's jump over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 36. 14 and 36. And these are just a couple hypothetical questions or kind of questions he's pushing out there. He said, did the word of God originate with you? And the answer is, did the word of God originate with you, Dick? No. Or are you the only people it has reached? And the answer is, no, no. Go to the next one of 1 Thessalonians. This one is really good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul says, and we are also thankful God continually to we we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, notice how it's addressed, the word of God, you uh which which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And you can't not talk about this verse when you talk about God's word, 2 Timothy 3, 3 16 and 17. When, when Paul says all scripture is God breathed, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Peter is doing here is he's establishing a huge fact for them. He's saying, this is God's word. This is God's word to us. And because it's God's word to us, what do we do? We draw it near to us. It's to our advantage. Now, there's a, and it, it's not coming by the interpret, someone's own interpretation. Then he gives us the second one, the second thing about God's word. Verse 21, for no prophecy, so the second time he said that, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't produced by the will of man. It wasn't produced by the determination of man. It wasn't produced by the choice of man. And then he gives us the big how of the Bible. How did the Bible come about? Well, men are a part of the process. There's no doubt about that. Men are a part of the process. There were writers that wrote down these words, but these are the words of God. And they're writing down um, in some sections, of the scripture, it's history. In some sections, it's it's about events that happen. In some sections, it's it's uh it's recording what was said, sometimes by men, sometimes by women, and everything. But these words are the very words that God of God for us to read. And even that, though, the energy is from the Holy Spirit. Even for these men to write down these words, the words of God for us to read. The energy that it came from, it says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that was picking them up and giving them the energy and, and actually directing them along as they put down these words. 
to bear, to bring forth. The only way that these words have been brought forth to us, the only way that God's words are brought forth to us is because God was behind the transmission of it to us. God's all behind this. So let me wrap it up this way. I kind of made some, these are my phrases, but saying like Peter might be saying, don't take my word for it, take God's word. Yeah, I had this great experience on the mountain and I was an eyewitness of his majesty and everything, but, but don't take my word for it. No, take God's word for it. Take God's word that there was going to come a Messiah and, 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 and it's Jesus and God's word that he is coming again. Take God's word for it. Or another way to say it, scripture over experience. Scripture over experience. I had a phenomenal experience. But Peter says, go to the scriptures. We have, I don't know if you've had, have you ever had a great experience? I mean, a a great spiritual experience. Have you ever had that? I mean, I've been in situations where I've had tremendous, great spiritual experiences that have been related to the church, related to conferences, related to different things. Where, where I can still recall everything about it. I can, I can, I can recall every moment, even the, what I was thinking, who, who was around me, and everything else. But experiences come and go. But what stands forever? God's Word. Scripture over experience. Always. You can have a great experience, but always land on the Scriptures. And the last one was kind of like him saying, living out our faith this way, So we've got this faith given to us by God. We live it out by that list. We have eyewitness examples of the apostles, which is great that we have that. But the third thing, but we have a more fully confirmed words of God. That's what we stand upon. That's what we stand upon. So, so far in this passage of scripture, remember your salvation, verses three and four. That's what he wants to say. Remember your salvation. Number two, Live out your sanctification. Another way of saying, live out your salvation. Verses 5 through 11. Then he says, evaluate your sources. Verses 16 through 18. Who, do we, who are we following after? We're following these apostles who were with Jesus, with Jesus, and they're not telling these fables. They're not telling clear, cleverly devised fables or myths. And then pay attention to God's scriptures, verses 19 through 21, that these are the very words of God. You know that I like to put Timothy or Paul and Peter together. And so I put down this last verses here, Romans chapter 16. He's finishing out this book to the Romans. And in verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to establish you by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known to you through the, guess what, prophetic writings. How did these prophetic writings come? By the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. If you you stick around for the come for more, which we really encourage you to do, In those classes, you might be able to share about an eyewitness account that you had, maybe of something. 
you also, I hopefully, you'll help each other to say and encourage one another on how you draw this thing near. How do you draw God's word near? What, what are the practices that you use to keep God's word near to you that you can draw upon it? And maybe one more thing would be, when has it been a lamp in a dark place? You've been in a dark place and a verse came to mind. Or maybe you heard it in a song. Or maybe a brother or sister in Christ came alongside of you and said, remember God said, God said. So maybe you'll get to uh, offer that opportunity to those that are in your group when this truly was a nightlight, a lamp in a dark place in your life. I'll say this one more time about chapter two. Peter is saying to his readers, remembering your salvation is really important to what I'm going to talk about in chapter two. And he's also telling his readers, living out your salvation, not just that you're saved, but you're actually living out your saved life. That's really important in chapter two. And then lastly, today, yeah, these scriptures, having these scriptures drawn near to you, drawn near to you, is really important when we get to chapter two. These things will guide us through chapter two. Okay? So would you stand with us and let's have a word of prayer and we'll close in song. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, so much in each one of these passages. And, and I do pray that you would be with us as we, as we draw your word near. Because it is beautiful and it is the word of God. If, if we've set it aside, Lord. May we, may we bring it back again close to us because we need it. We always need your word. Always need your word. May we be people of that word. In thy precious name, amen.